It is Sunday evening for us and Sunday morning for our guests. Uh, welcome to the European Ham Radio Show. And uh, for once, we have a couple of guests that are located further north than uh, us Norwegians here. And that doesn't always happen. So, um, and Walt's not here today. He decided to enjoy warm spring weather in Virginia and go uh, play radio instead. Nice. Um, welcome, uh, Jeremy and Sean. Um, and thank, thank you. you for, thank you for joining us. Um, Great to be here. Yeah, yeah thank you for having should, us. Should get started a little bit by getting to know you. Uh, Jeremy, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your YouTube channel there? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, let's see. I've become a ham radio operator in uh, 2006. Uh, lived in Georgia at the time. Um, Moved to Alaska about eight years ago. I was very excited to get a KL call. Um, got the KL call. And then uh, I found Alaska propagation was not anything like the lower 48. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, I kind of got frustrated with it, you know, and and I kind of gave up on it. And then uh, I heard about POTA in 2020. And uh, since then, it's been... Man, we've had so much fun and been doing that ever since. I um, guess. Started, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, started the uh, the, the channel about uh, about a year ago now. So um, just to, you know, show everybody kind of what we have to deal with or our environment and uh, just the, the fun that we have uh, getting out to these parks and activating them. Absolutely. And what made me want to have you on the show was actually your last video when you when you flew into Apoda. And uh, I think I commented in your video that that was the most Alaskan thing I've ever seen on that radio YouTube. And uh, it's just just amazing to see that. Yeah, just to um, tell you a, a little backstory on that. Um, we were in a text, uh, me, Doug and Sean and uh, Doug was like, let's go activate a park we've never activated in. And uh I was like, well, what do you have in mind? He said, let's do Denali. I'm thinking that's a that's a four or five hour drive up there, four or five hour drive back. He said, no, just come over to the house. We'll jump in the cub, fly up, land on the lake and do our activation. I was like, I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> and Sean, uh, how about you? Uh, what's your ham radio story? Uh, my ham radio story is relatively short, but uh, fast-paced. I've been a ham for about, uh, actually, as of February 20th of this year, I marked my one year as being a ham. So I'm I'm a new ham, and uh, I've been uh, exploring all the uh, avenues and facets of ham radio for the last year. And uh, there's a couple of areas that I've really found myself interested in. That's uh, simplex anything right uh, i don't like a reliance on infrastructure um i, I like the uh, the simplicity of being able to do point-to-point -point communications um i like the practicality of it so that's what i really kind of focus on all my learning efforts right now um i discovered poda probably about uh, six months ago uh, and after doing that um it's it's been non-stop and uh, Jeremy was a big factor in that, uh, watching his YouTube channel and then uh, becoming friends with him and then doing some of the expeditions uh, has been uh, just a phenomenal ride for the last six months. But uh, yeah, POTA is just, uh, and I know we'll dive more into that later, but uh, that really consumes my ham radio time. 
Um, I do have the, the, you know, a station here at the house, um, but uh, mostly uh, I would say 90% of my time I'm on HF. Uh, I haven't dove into the VHF, UHF world that much, but um, yeah, being a new ham and just been like experiment, uh, I, I'm always intrigued by Tobias and some of the, the experiments that he's coming up with. I love to experiment with antennas, uh, you know, keep things very basic and simple and, and just uh, astonish people when they're like, you're, your signals through the roof or something like that. What are you on? You have to be on some amazing technology and it's <laughs> no, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a dipole with uh, two copper uh, pipes. That's it. So um, I, I love the simplicity of ham radio and of course you can make it as complex as you want. So uh, that's a little bit about me, Morton. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, it's always nice to get, uh, get the viewers to know a little bit about our guests before we get started here. And uh, we're going to dive back into uh, Poda and Alaska a little bit later on in the show. But first, our Ham Radio Weeks. And uh, let's see, who who want to start this week? Bob. <laughs> I started last week, but that's all right. Um, um, I, I think it's been a very slow week. Uh, spending the usual activity on 10 meters with the local club. And uh, I went for a Parks on the Air activation today. Uh, yeah, I can tell this the, the really sad story about yesterday's attempted uh, summits on the air. Um, that was uh, awful. It was uh, cold. It was wet. It was windy. And uh, it was uh, basically... Uh, five meter cliff faces going up and down uh so i, I basically aborted that after an hour and a half this, this was a 170 meter tall summit the walk to the summit was about to be maybe five six hundred meters and after an hour and <laughs> cats for the win <laughs> after about an hour and a half i just gave up on that summit and walked back down to the car it's um yeah I'll um, I'll try that again uh, this um, this summer. I think with some better weather, I'll I'll have more patience. But uh, by the rate by the rate snow is melting now, uh, Bob, it won't be long until you can walk up there a normal in a normal fashion. There's still going to be the five meter tall faces, cliff faces, but uh, yeah, I'll uh, I will conquer that. It's probably one of the uh, the, the the least least tall less. What would that be in English? The shallowest, the lowest, lowest. The lowest summits I've ever attempted, and uh, it turned out a bit this hard. It's that's just annoying. Uh, but I went for a uh, parks on the air today, and uh, in uh, in honor of the contest going on, I decided to stay away from the non-vark uh, bands. So I activated twelve and seventeen, which I think is the first time I've done that, at least on sideband. And that was great fun. Uh, got uh, maybe twenty-five uh, contacts or something on uh, twelve, and then another fifty on uh, 17 uh, had a, a fairly large pileup going at one point uh, so i'm going to do that uh, quite a bit more uh, did it from the car because uh, the weather here today was uh, horrid uh, so with the, the ampro sticks which is basically hamsticks on on top of the car um yeah i think that sums yeah. up my radio week and and just uh just want to touch on 12 meters there bob because 12 meters is one of those bands where you don't hear anyone but the moment you start calling the dx starts piling up on you yeah that was uh was um, uh, sort of a revelation it's a very small band uh but um yeah uh, quite quite a bit of traffic once i actually started calling as you say yep it's a band where a lot of people listen i think but not a lot of people call so uh, once you start calling uh you get your replies pretty fast yeah um let's go to one of our guests then uh jeremy how has your ham radio week been 
Uh, no, no ham radio this week. Um, it's been a very busy week at work. I was on call Saturday and uh, this live stream today. So I kind of took the day off just to kind of relax around the house. But uh, just just finishing editing it, uh, editing in a video for uh, that will be released tomorrow. And um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it this week. Yeah. Uh, some weeks are like that. Um, Tobias, how has your ham radio week been? Uh, yeah, it was a busy week as well. A busy work week, at least. I uh, had to get a software release out for the day job. But I played a bit um, with my new uh, Meshtastic device and I managed oh. to set it up. So... Uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of nowhere with no uh, <laughs> stations around, so I probably have to get a second one to, you know, see some results <laughs> or see some air traffic. Yeah, so I managed to get myself on the map here, um, but uh, that's that's about it. And um, yeah, you can connect your device to, to the internet and get on all the traffic on the main channel, but as there's a 10% um, a transmit limitation in germany yeah you get like traffic for five minutes and then it stops yeah <laughs> and uh, then you get no longer any messages yeah so i really need to buy a second device in order to get some practical experience and um yeah apart from that uh yeah here's the device on the desk um and that i already showed that uh, last week my uh, poor man's stream desk and then uh, we said at some point I should explain how, how a tube works. I'm not sure today is the right day for that with two guests. So maybe we <laughs> delay that to next week. But we can, we can do that next in, week. If you're into it, I, I, I'll wing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we need to follow up, follow up on that. And I saw the drawing there. It looks like one of Walt's drawings there in the book you had there. I think yeah, that was a few uh, years before what was born. That drawing was made, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, Sean, what have you been up to in the hobby the last week? Well, like Jeremy said, the uh, the, the weather up here and uh, the bands haven't been playing nice. But uh, outside of the window of the week, just last week, and uh, Jeremy and I made it out to a local lake called uh, Big Lake. And we're basically doing some exploring out there. Um, we've got uh, future plans potentially before uh, winter ends. If uh, the lakes stay frozen long enough, uh, we want to do a kind of a, a, a five park run uh, across the lakes on snow machines. I, I don't think that's been done yet. So we were out there experimenting with that. We activated uh, two parks. Uh, one of the parks was Big Lake North and Big Lake South. And, so we're just kind of doing a test run, seeing how the snow machines did, hauling gear out there, what it takes to set up the gear in the in the deep snow, um, what kind of propagation we're getting. Uh, went and explored in the uh, in the woods just a little bit to see where uh, connecting trails were for some of these other lakes that we wanted to get to. Uh, we weren't too successful with that uh, finding them, um, <laughs> but uh, Jeremy came back and uh, was exploring on Google Earth and maps and and. Uh, we I think we got a, a trailhead found there. So that might be something that's uh, happening later on. But uh, that was successful. We activated uh, the first park on both sides of the UTC day, which is always nice here in Alaska. Happens at a three o'clock in the afternoon in the mm -hmm. winter time. So uh, it's always nice to plan our excursions around that. And then the second park we uh, activated one time and, and then called it quits after that. But uh, 
But the wins here this week have just been absolutely horrendous. Um, I could, two of my antennas have gotten torn down in the last uh, couple of days, just wire antennas. Um, but that's always uh, challenging here, and uh, it's it's uh, it's always uh, something to consider when you're putting up antennas here in Alaska is is, is the wind. But uh, I'll, that pretty much summarizes my week. Yeah, uh, that's not too bad, though. Uh, Shetel, uh, how have you been doing? I, I've been quite active. Uh, I've done two winter bonus sodas or two pointers. Uh, first one on Monday was lovely, warm, sunny spring day. Today was supposed to be that. It wasn't. Uh, it was uh, really gusty. Even the drone was complaining about high winds, which means gusts of 25 meters per second. At least, so that's uh, what fifty miles an hour or so. Uh, so ki- kind of gusty up there, but uh, still very nice. Uh, that was also my three hundred SOTA, so that was quite fun to have done those activations. Uh, awesome. Also- awesome. Yeah, and uh, also yesterday did two POTA activations uh, on ten uh, uh, on fifteen and twenty. Uh, both that and today's was a challenge when it comes to. Uh, like the big contest going on and just running 10 watts SSB in between all of those big guns. So that was kind of interesting and I had to move sometimes. Um, Then, yeah, I got a uh, Nano VNA to play with. I saw all of you other guys had one, so I need one as well. Yeah, that is is an essential tool after a while. Yeah, that was kind of amazing. So... um, First thing I did was uh, play with a new 3D printer at work and make a, a custom box for it to protect it, which some um, with some um, fa- fa- soft inlays. Uh, then I started testing a new logger, uh, one called Polo uh, or Portable Logger uh, from Ham2K. And that is a really nice portable logger for Android phones, phones for now, will be for iPhone as well. And uh, I... It's far from complete, but the, the developer is actively activating it and um, actively um, developing it, and he will, he's looking for input. So I'm just going to post a link in chat here if you want to check out. This logger, if it continues being as good as this is now, it's going to replace uh, HamRS for my end. It's significantly better already, uh, at least yep. for Pota. I need to, to check that out and uh, see what it's like. Yeah, and uh, then as so many others uh, have noticed in here, uh, not the US stations yet, but POTA is renaming. So this is more of a, um, uh, more of a public service announcement that POTA has done in some uh, forum as well somewhere. Uh, all of the country codes for POTA references are changing. Norway is no NO, uh, Canada is CA. It's uh, basically going to be the same as the domain name for the country or the ISO standard name for the country. Uh, so everybody, everything is going to be two, le- uh, two letters and everything is going to be new, except for the uh, countries that, by some reason, had the same ones. So uh, that's going to be a rolling update over the last next uh, weeks or months or something like that. And that is, that is going to be confusing for a while. It is, and uh, if you if you don't uh, log the same day as you do the Q- uh, QSO, you may get the issues when you l- upload the log. Uh, basically, you could have something in there saying you activated LA, uploaded next day, and LA doesn't exist anymore. I, um, I can 
I can tell you how that works because I had uh, just that issue today. Basically, it just uh, asks you what park were you in, and you have to input that once, and you're okay. So it's not yeah. a major hassle. Yeah, it's not, and uh, they do all of the mapping in the background with your park to parks and everything like that automatically. But it is coming up. Yep. So, yep. So that was my um, my uh, week. And uh, I'm I'm going to do my week, but I just want to comment on that uh, as much as we complain to about the poda team doing this i mean i actually have a great respect for all the work they're doing and keeping uh the program running though so um yeah you just uh, need to to change your mindset and um and i guess that's it yeah and as they said they had to do this uh, i think the issue there was the us going over 10k parks which kind of messed up a lot of things uh, so they had to do some change for it, and there's going to be some more. So yeah. uh, just go in and check their websites. They have really good in documentation about why they're doing this. So um, um, let's see, my week. Uh, I started on Monday playing with Meshtastic after last week's uh, stream. Um, got my two nodes up and running. Uh, this is pink because that's what was in the printer. Um and mine are on 433 megahertz, so only 10 milliwatts, and that makes it a little bit challenging. Haven't really looked too much into that. Uh, besides that, I've been doing two pod activations. I've had a busy week with uh, three concerts in a row uh, at work uh, and a lot of preparation for those. Um, but on Thursday, I had some errands in the morning, and I managed to squeeze in a quick poda on my way to work. Um just a quick 20 meter activation in the morning, got about 20 in the logs, nothing big. Went out today, started out on 10, which was, as several other people have said, a disaster on a contest weekend. So uh, I went to 17 and um, had the usual contacts or perhaps not. I got a lot of Spain, a lot of UK and a lot of East Coast US. Um, so both short skip and, and long skip on 17 today, which was a little bit weird. Um, besides that, um, I bought uh, NFED half wave kit. Uh, I'm gonna change the cameras here again and I'm gonna see if I can do some advanced producing here. Uh, that's not it. Let's see. There we go. Uh, and um, this is a kit that was made for, for the youth on the air camp in 2020, which didn't happen. Um, it's a kit made for kids. It's got really nice hardware, um, really nice PCBs, really nice. Uh, everything hardware-wise is nice with it. But the manual is a complete disaster. And I'm just going to find uh, one of the spots here. Uh, this illustration tells you to wind 13 turns, then go across and 13 more turns except that there's 14 turns on this side and 15 turns on this side <laughs> on the illustration. <laughs> so um, I am uh, not really sure how I'm going to build it. I'm thinking I'm going to just wind it as a regular uh, 64 to 1 and, uh, and not use the traps because when those windings on the toroid doesn't match, I'm thinking that the windings on the traps doesn't match. And uh, I'm in for a lot of pain tuning those traps. So um, I'm probably just going to um, just gonna keep it as a regular 64 to 1 and fed half wave. Yeah, that's um, really sad because it was a really nice kit. And I also bought one. Yeah, hard, hardware-wise, it's, it's a fantastic kit. But uh, 
they haven't proofread the manual at all. At so, least they uh, probably do use a VNA to test it. Yeah, I can use a VNA to test it. So, but still, um, yeah, there is also one point where it says to to measure the inductance of the coils or of the, on the traps. It says to use a VNA and a wire, but it doesn't say how to use it. So, uh, for it's just standard equipment that every young person has at home, right? Yeah, that, that's my <laughs> that's my gripe with it though, because this is a beginner's kit, and uh, there is nothing in this made for beginners they should have made a dipole kit for a beginner i think to, to in their defense i think when they say beginners kit that uh, that kit was meant to be built at a club uh with uh, some guidance from um, people with more experience that i think that that's uh, what they mean by a beginner's kit so yeah. it's yeah. It, the, the actual mechanics of putting it together is probably quite simple but you need someone with uh, the right equipment and some experience to help you Exactly. And uh, Stu says a turn is when it passes through the middle, and it is. I just pointed the wrong way. It's kind of hard to show on an illustration. And also, it does not say that in the manual. <laughs> so, and and I, I'm, I'm kind of, I got mixed feelings of this because the, the Norwegian League has made such a good job making this kit and making it available. And it's, I'm not sure if it is in the web shop yet, but it's going to be available for purchase. And uh, it just fails on a couple of simple points. So a new manual and everything is is good with the kit. Um, on to our YouTube channel of the week. And um, it's not going to be a European channel this week. Uh, I just got to find the right tab to share here. But since Jeremy has been kind enough to join us, I'm thinking we should promote his channel here. Um, let's see if I can make this a little bit bigger. Uh, we got Jeremy's channel here, and uh, this is the video I talked about, the, the flying ham radio uh, video. Um, that is, uh, I, I've said it before, and that's the most Alaskan thing I've seen on ham radio YouTube, and uh, it's fantastic. And you got a lot of good videos and uh, a lot of nice scenery in your videos, Jeremy. So uh, everyone oh, should uh, should go ahead and subscribe. Um, and uh, that's kind of a nice segue to uh, to our topic of the day, ham radio in uh, Alaska. And um, we could probably have a lot of opinions on it, but we got a couple of Alaskans over here that could probably tell us how ham radio is in Alaska. And I got a feeling since uh, you guys are pretty much at the same latitude as at least the three Norwegians in the show, there are some similarities on on how to activate, but uh, how does Poda in Alaska differ from, let's say, Poda in the lower forty eights? Oh, it, it it's not in day, um, especially when I first started Poda back in twenty twenty. Um, you know, that the spot in the solar cycle we were in, I could go out to a park, I could be there three three and a half four hours and just make the ten contacts. Um, and, and, you know, as the solar cycle is progressing and getting much better, um, especially now for the last six months or so, 10 meters has just been extremely, uh, hot and very reliable. Um, so that that's when we go out and activate, you know, right now it's, uh, that that's our first band of choice, um, just because of its, uh, amazing DX and reliability. Um, so it's, uh. It's one of those things where, you know, it's it's a learning experience for me. Uh, every time I go out, uh, I'm always learning something new and trying to, uh, um, 
j- just be better, you know, at activating a park and and all that good stuff. So, I don't know. Sean might have. Uh... Yeah, I definitely have some input on that uh, as far as activating in Alaska. Um, the I, I guess one of the the biggest challenges here is the the geography, right? Alaska is such a uh, immense state uh, just just by size. Um, the road improvements here are not that of a typical, uh, say, lower 48 states. So our road systems are very, very limited. Uh, the parks here uh, can be very uh, remote, uh, very challenging to get to. Um, if uh, if you've ever been out to uh, the Facebook site, um, Parks on the Air, uh, the picture at the very top there, um, Jeremy and I and Doug went out and activated that site. It was uh, Minto Flats. And just using this as an example, as a challenge, uh, this location cannot be accessed uh, very easily in the summertime because it's a swamp. Um, so you can strategically try to uh, act, you know, access parks uh, in the wintertime because everything's frozen. Uh, you can use a snow machine, et cetera. Uh, whereas in, say, spring or summertime, those sites are not accessible at all uh, because they're large swampy areas. There's no road systems. There's no trails. Um, so that is definitely a very uh, unique challenge here in Alaska. Um, Jeremy mentioned, uh, you know, some, the daylight here. Um, so the band conditions uh, in the wintertime, not having as much daylight uh, as other places um, is always a challenge because our conditions have a very smaller window of opportunity to make those contacts in the wintertime uh, than than in other places. As you as you guys know, uh, being mm-hmm. from Norway, it can be very challenging. Um, you know, in the summertime, there's wildlife issues, uh, moose, bears. Um, you know, you're on the radio, you've got your headset on maybe, and your head down, um, so you're not really paying attention to your surroundings. So you can have all kinds of animals uh, creep up on you here uh, and, and kind of startle you. Uh, during this last video, there was a dog that ran up that uh, uh, they were teasing him. It was a wolf and caught him off guard. But that very well could happen here in Alaska. So um, those are just those are just some of the challenges. Uh, I'm sure uh, other people in northern climates have uh, very similar challenges. Um, but access, I guess, if I was to name one, just getting access to some of these areas mm-hmm. is the is the biggest challenge, but 37% of all POTA parks in Alaska have not been activated and are challenging. Some of them are only boat access via the ocean. Um, so has those challenges, which, which makes it fun because when you can activate one of those parks, it's hard to get to and do uh, like we did up at Minto Flats. It's extremely rewarding because uh, uh, like Jeremy was the first one to activate that. It's, it's, it's good knowing, Hey, I went in there and did that. And that was the first one and, and made it happen. And, and uh, the hunters are so grateful uh, for new parks and, and being out there doing places uh, that haven't been done yet. And so uh, that just keeps you motivated even more. So, Absolutely. And, um, and I, I, can, I, I can recognize some of those challenges, though, because a lot of parks here are also uh, probably easier accessible uh, than a lot of parks in Alaska. But... Um, we have a limited number of drive-in parks here uh, and and it takes some planning to to actually find out where to go, uh, how to get there, when to get there and uh, and how to find the spot to activate. And then it's as you said, it's the daylight issue in the winter. 
but then again in the in the summertime we have a lot more daylight though so there's right. a little bit of a bonus there but in the um in the winter time here at least where i live might get three hours of daylight in december and that does not help with propagation at all mm -mm. no but uh, also uh, i saw you guys were at 61 and a half degrees north or something like that so that's um for the europeans here that's roughly equivalent to geiranger in norway uh, about midways in norway so it's uh for me it's about 10 or 12 hours drive north so it, it's mm -hmm. not uh i guess um it's not you don't have the same like arctic circle challenges as you have if you're like 71 degrees north or above there uh but still uh, at that latitude you're starting to notice like uh propagation issues at both in summer and winter on different bands that you don't have further south. I guess you see that as well. So Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, when, when people on YouTube started talking about 10 meters being open a couple of years ago, uh, yeah. it was not even close to being open here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's... Uh, uh, it's really interesting to see, like, travel north and see how that breaks some of the bands uh, and uh, the challenges that does. So, yeah. Um, how about mosquitoes? Is that a big issue uh, when going out activating? Oh, it is. And and you know, when when me and Doug flew out to Denali, um, there was mosquitoes out, which blew both of our minds. Um, but but the further the further you go north up towards Fairbanks. I feel for those guys. I mean, they've got, uh, I did a video uh, that I put out last summer when we were up at uh, just north of Fairbanks and good gracious, the mosquitoes. I mean, we, we, there's a reason we call it our state bird. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they'll, I, I would guess they're about the same as when you get up to your, to Arctic Scandinavia though. They're about the size of a small airplane. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I love ad hoc image generation. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, they they can be buzzy and uh, like you you think there's noise on the bands and then it's just all the mosquitoes outside the tent. Yeah. <laughs> I. I did an activation, or it wasn't an activation. It was kind of before I got into Parks and Deer. It was my first summer as a ham. I guess that's the summer of 2020. And uh, three hams went out uh, on a lake, a big freshwater lake, and uh, camped on an island. And um, when you think about that and you don't bring any mosquito nets, that makes for a rough night. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Go ahead, Sean. Uh, I was just going to say, and I was looking at your background there, Bob, so it made me think of something. Jeremy and I had uh, done an activation down by the ocean um, this this past fall, and that's another thing that's unique to Alaska is the tides. Um, so that's one of the things we experienced. We had uh, set up our antennas a little bit too close to the water and mm -hmm. weren't really paying attention to the tides so much. And uh, we can have 28 foot to 31 foot tides on a regular basis. So um, that's uh, that's something else that's very unique to Alaska. And, and you know, we want to set up close to the salt because we get that really good propagation. But at the same time, um, yeah, we had the water come up pretty close to one of our antennas and uh, and we have to wait for it to go back out to uh, recover it. But uh, I thought that's a pretty unique challenge. I know Norway probably has some pretty decent ties as yeah. well. 
it, yeah. it does, and and it it absolutely presents some really unique challenges as uh, both to to boating and to ham radio. So uh, and. Uh, you got to think about that when you place your antenna uh, on which way the tide is going. Um, in Norway, at least along the Oslo Fjord, it's, it's fairly easy to see from the surroundings the high water mark. Uh, yeah. so you, 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 you shouldn't be surprised that the water will rise to this level. Then you weren't, just weren't paying attention. Uh, and I think in the Oslo Fjord, it's, it's, it's hardly ever more than a meter and a half difference between high and low tide. That's no, just uh, on extreme once, days. So. Once you get a little bit further north, there is a lot more difference in, uh, in the tides. Absolutely. And in, inside fjords as well, I can imagine. I don't know this, but I would imagine that inside fjords, there you get a uh, uh, an amplification effect on, uh, on the, the tides. Hmm. So. Um, uh, which way do you really... Which way does RF propagate from Alaska? Um do you usually get the, the Canada and the lower 48s, or is it easier to get, let's say, into Russia and uh, and Northern Europe? Japan. Japan? Japan's a big one for us. Um, you know, we're a straight shot across the water, heading, you know, pretty much south for Australia and a little bit more south, southwest to the Philippines and, and those areas. Um, so really, really good shot for us. Uh, where we're at, we're in a valley. Um, so... Uh, we're, I'm about an hour north of Anchorage, so we have mountains pretty much all around us. So our, our best shot is typically to uh, the, the southeast um, to, to really get good contacts. Unless yep. you're up on a mountain, then you're good all directions, obviously. Yeah, because, because if you look at, I mean, I've centered a map around uh, my grid square here, but uh, Alaska is actually closer to us than most, par most parts of the eastern seaboard of the U.S., um, but then again, there aren't as many hams in Alaska as there are in the uh, U.S. Northeast, though. So, so uh, it's it's a little bit harder to get Alaska, but RF-wise, it should be easier. Hmm. Are any of you guys on the Alaska Morning Net? Uh, that was something that was really big for me when I started ham radio a few years back. Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't done it. Um, I don't know if Sean has checked into the uh, to those nets or not. Um, at the house, I'm I'm set up for uh, ten through twenty, um, and that's off the. Uh, I got a KIO hex beam that I have set up, but th that's one of the things for this summer. Um, I want to get eighty and one sixty up, um, mm -hmm. so so I'll, we can do more of that. Yeah, that's fun. So uh, you said I you had a lot of checked into that net either, uh, so and I had a little bit of a uh, disconnect there, so apologize for that if anyone was talking there. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead, it. Yeah, so do you, uh, you said you had a lot of mountains. Do you have you done any SOTA up there as well, or is that is that a thing in Alaska? It is. Um, I've I've done one SOTA. Um, a, a good a friend of mine, Eric. Uh, that's uh, he's he's done quite a bit. And if you pull up that that SOTA map, there is there is so many SOTA parks. It, it's it, it's hard to, to to keep track of. Um, but I, I've got a, a few cool things uh, in plan um, for this summer, uh, taking a, a helicopter ride up to a summit. I know it's cheating, um, but we're going to we're going to try that, uh, get a helicopter ride up to a summit and uh, drop off and maybe camp over uh, overnight and then um, do some activations. 
Yeah. I, I don't think that's cheating. Anything that gets you there and uh, gets you on the air, it's, uh, <laughs> it's perfectly fine. Yeah. That's not cheating at all. So, so you're you're located in the located in the Anchorage area, aren't you? No, we're just uh, we're just north of Anchorage in uh, Wasilla. Yep. So to the yeah, right of your mouth, right, right, right there. Uh, yeah, yeah about right where you're at. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of soda summits there. Absolutely. <laughs> there's there's more soda summits in Alaska than anywhere in the world, and not all of them are even mapped yet. You see a lot of those ranges there, like the uh, yep. The, uh, the, the Talkeetna's, the Chugiak range there, and those are the ones that are mapped because of the population density of Anchorage, and those are probably the most accessible, but uh, the majority of them are still not even mapped. We have the, the most summits uh, anywhere in the world. Yeah, they're high as well, or tall ones, so uh, you can see you have I a lot of points to collect. One. Yeah, they are decent decent high mountains here. Click a red one, a proper red one, let's see. Let's find, a red, let's find a red one here. Not orange. That's orange. I, I want a red no, one. No, that this this one is red that I clicked. It's orange. Orange is eight points. The red one is to the right of it. Yeah, a little bit down, 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 left, down, down left, left. There, uh, a little bit up and a little bit right. You have a red one. Little, little, uh, that one. one. No, no, down and left. You skipped that, one. That, that yeah, there we go. That's a red yep. one. Okay, so so two thousand five hundred meters. <laughs> About two thousand five hundred meters. You have uh, red ones. Yeah, yeah, that looks like a, a day's walk. And and I mean that that is that is uh, what would be called a really high mountain in Norway. Yeah, they have the same point scale as we have here, like same yeah. elevation scales. So, and is, is, so is, I think is, there's is, a uh... is that is that the summit you see over there? Looks like it, because mm -hmm. from from just the picture, it seems like a, a relatively tough summit to uh, to ascend there. You know, if you want to do a, an impressive picture of a, a mountain, you don't take the picture from the easy, uh, easy side. No, you take it no, from the difficult don't. side. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things about soda here that can kind of seem, uh, I, it kind of deters me is, so it's not just the, you know, you're starting at the base of the mountain and then you've got the actual climb to, to, to work through. It's the access piece. For example, the one that you were just showing, I think it was called Ice Cream Peak or Mountain. Yep. Mm. Um, there's no road systems there. Um, the yep. only way you're getting close to that is in the wintertime uh, via snow machine. There's no trails, so you'd have to put a trail in there. Uh, yep. In the summertime, you'd be straight up bushwhacking. There is absolutely no trails to get there. Um, so 95% of your effort is just to get to the base of the summit, and then you have the summit to look forward to. <laughs> That's the majority. <laughs> but, uh, do you have uh, legal access to it, or do you have to apply from like uh, the uh, the landowners to go there? Uh, I would say the majority of the state is federal and state land, so you can like especially this time of year, you can drop a snow machine and pretty much go in any corner of the state you wanted to, given you have enough fuel. Yeah. Um, yep. So there's there's really no permits or but you definitely want to watch out for private lands because there are out there. Um, but you pretty much have unlimited access to Alaska. <clears throat> hmm. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, nice. I, I mean, when I look at pictures of Alaska, I kind of think Western and Northern Norway. But I see from the altitude of these peaks that uh, actually the terrain is a lot, lot rougher over there than it is here. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's more like the center of Norway, just that you start from uh, sea level instead. Yeah. 
So, uh, but uh, but I see there are some some absolutely unique challenges that you have to to activate. But how do you go ahead and plan uh, a parks on the air or some on the air activation uh, when you're activating a new park? Um, so we're actually in the plans of doing uh, the Arctic Circle, um, and that that's gonna you know that's not a a couple hour you know getting together planning. That's that's gonna take weeks. Um, there, there's so many challenges doing that one. Um, of course, our safety would be number one. Um, so we're trying to figure out now if we want to do it in the summertime, if we want to do it in the winter. Um, both of them um, have very unique um, challenges. And and the, so that, that's kind of what we're dealing with at the moment with that one. And um, we, we've got a couple more that, that we're planning. Uh, what is the one Doug was speaking of with the five-hour flight up Sean, uh, so that I think you're you're on the same uh, track for that one. It's called uh, Gate Gates of the Arctic National Park. Okay, yeah, um, and that so this is uh, this is on the agenda, and like Jeremy said, possibly, and we all come together, and so there's quite a bit of planning. Um, there's a lot of logistics involved, as you can imagine. Uh, Gateway of the Arctic National Park is the second largest national park in the United States. Um, it's, it's the most isolated park in the United States. Uh, there's no road access whatsoever to the park. Um, yeah, there you go right there. Um, so you can actually, uh, fly into, uh, that location right there. There's an airport, but guess what? Um, there's a boundary around it that is not the park. Um, so even when you fly in there, there's a hike involved in getting out into the park location. Yeah. Um, so there's there's those those challenges, but we're really surprised. Uh, uh, the amount of number of people that have actually activated that park is zero. Um, so that one is on our books to uh, do, um, and, and there is quite a bit of planning involved. Um, no. And when when going up there, uh, that is by private plane. You can't fly commercially up to to those locations, can you? You can. Uh, typically, what's done is you fly commercially into Fairbanks, and then uh, in the United States, we call them puddle jumpers, the smaller single engine airplanes or yep. uh, bush planes. You would fly from Fairbanks uh, in a smaller airplane that can uh, handle those smaller airstrips within the park. Um, so, and they're all, they're all commercial. You'd, you'd be paying for those flights. Yeah. How do you, would you handle, for example, spotting up there? I guess there's not much cell phone coverage. Um, you, you know, there, the cell phone coverage in, in most of the parks that we activate, uh, we have cell phone coverage. Um, there, even when we were up the mental flats, so we, we had cell phone coverage, which was very, um, uh, surprising to, to all of us. Um, hmm. but I mean, we do have, uh, you know, you know, a couple things in our back pocket just in case, um, you know, we can use, uh, a JS8 call, I believe it is to, to spot, um, hmm. and, you know, when linked to communicate, uh, you know, with our wives back home and, and it, so when we would do like, uh, that particular one, uh, we would have somebody dedicated, you know, back home or back here. Okay that will kind of uh, track us um, and then, you know, set up a time where we could communicate uh, back with them just to let, you know, them know uh, that everything's okay. Um, then of course, you know, we have, you know, ham radio um, if, if we need to, 
try to, if we get in a situation where, you know, we absolutely need, you know, emergency or, or, or things of that nature. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I guess and just to add on to. Yeah, go ahead, Sean. I was just going to add on to that. I mean, sp spotting is absolutely awesome, right? Um, you know, going ahead of time and spotting and you're, you're off to that running start, right? You might even have a pilot waiting for you and, you know, when you tune up and, and there you are, but Alaska, um, had what do we call that, Jeremy? The Alaska Beacon or something like that. Whenever yeah. people hear that you're from Alaska or uh, or the megaphone of Alaska, um, the spotting is not too important. If you if you're out there calling, maybe like five minutes, even without a spot, you're you're going to have a pile up if the band conditions are in your favor. Um, mm. So spotting is not as important uh, here. It seems that that people are are going to find you. Then you have one or two people spot you after they make that uh, contact, and it's just game on after that. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds nice. And I see that Jeff's got Jeff's got a question here. Can you activate north of Circle City? And uh, I don't know where Circle City is, so uh, I guess um, you could probably tell us that as well. Uh, Circle City, Sean. I'm not sure. I'm not uh, I, I know there's a there's a town called Circle. It's on the uh, the Yukon River. Um, so there probably is a Poda part there. It might be, uh, something in reference to Yukon Charlie possibly. Um, but I'm not familiar with an actual circle city, but there's a town of circle on the Yukon river. If that's what he's referring to. Okay. Uh, probably Jeff, if you could just elaborate a little bit on that, we'll, we'll go back to that when we hear from you. Um, I'm thinking like safety wise, uh, do you carry equipment like, uh, like a Garmin inReach or similar when you go out? Um, I do not. Sean does. Um, so, but when we're going out to those trips like that, we definitely have something. Um, and, and usually it's, you know, we're Sean's with us or, or Doug. And so usually somebody has something. We have HF radio. What more do you need? <laughs> well, uh, if, if, if you break an arm, you might not be able to rig up your uh, HF antenna. So I think an in-reach device is a, is a very good thing. I, I, I stay yeah. mostly in Norway, uh, and e even in Norway on uh, on the summits on your uh, outings, I will bring an in-reach device if it's if it's out of uh, people's way. Um, I think I think that's a it's, a it's a good thing to do because of the people that uh, are, are are at home. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a nice thing to do because basically I don't want to die on a mountain. So yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a good thing. Please please continue bringing uh, satellite comms for uh, for the uh, the ultimate backup. Yeah, uh, and uh, and I see that Jeff is talking about uh, uh, the town called Circle, which is about as he says fifty miles south of the Arctic Circle. Yeah, that's really different here in Norway when you pass the Arctic Circle by car, at least. There's a huge Arctic Circle center. Uh, so you can go in and have some food and look at some reindeers and buy some really overpriced souvenirs. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I also went by boat once and then they announced over the speaker system that they were passing the Arctic Circle. So that was quite yep. fun. Uh, but uh, it is interesting activating up there uh, during the midnight sun. Like, uh, you know, it's midnight and the sun is above the horizon and it doesn't look weird, but your mind tells you that this is weird. It's not supposed to be like this. Right. Uh, so I, I highly recommend doing that in summer. If you haven't been north of the Arctic circle in summer, it is, yeah. uh, it's special, even though it's not that special. 
I am going uh, north of the Arctic Circle in August, so I'm looking forward to that and seeing how a nighttime activation could be done uh, with the midnight sun. Slowly, uh, to say the least. Age of conditions, at least when I was there, but that was also closer to the bottom of the solar uh, cycle that they were not very good at all. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm just checking the map here and it doesn't seem like there are any parks nearby where I'm going, though. So uh, <laughs> that, uh, that does that not summer. really that does not really help. There's yeah. probably a summit. Uh, I, I know your, your New Year's resolution was to do more summits. So you could uh, you could do a summit. Yes, summit uh, but then again, I'm, I'm going up to the Arctic. I'm going to Narvik and um, the, the mountains there are not for people in my kind of shape. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, you mentioned that like only thirty something percent of the parks in Alaska were activated. I believe our number is a lot lower. Uh, we have two and a half thousand parks or so, and I can't imagine many more than a few hundred being activated. Oh wow! I, I, I think have... I think our total on parks is right at one hundred and sixty, one thirty-seven. It's like 137 and then I think 37 of them have not been activated and I think it worked out to be, I, I did the math earlier, like 37% of our parks have not been activated. It's a pretty significant uh, list, um, you know, yeah. like 40, 30, 40 parks. Um, so they're, they're out there, they're waiting, but uh, all, all the low hanging fruit has been gotten pretty much yeah. already, pretty much by Jeremy and others. The thing in Norway is we have uh, we have many many very small nature preserves, and all of these got imported into the the, the parks on the air program when they started up in Norway. Yeah, uh, far so from that, it's, uh, well, yeah. a, a great many at least uh, got imported into it. So that's the reason why we have two and a half thousand uh, uh, parks in this uh, comparatively okay. small country. So yeah, yeah. Uh, in within let's say within ten minutes drive from home, I have I think seven parks that I can activate. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, it's, it's it's the same with me. I've I've done all the low hanging fruit and a couple of the medium height fruit. So now it's the the tougher ones that are left that requires boats or a significant hike. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do any prospecting when you're out there doing boat as well, like to fi- uh, finance the trips? No, I have not. Uh, not me personally. I used to do uh, some metal detecting uh, a few years ago, um, but that that's one of the things that I would love to do is, uh, especially when we go up uh, north and on those some of those activations, uh, yeah. bring bring the metal detector with us just to see. Who knows? Yeah. You know, find some like a uh, fist-sized nugget or something like that to find. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> oh, that would be- <laughs> That that is some seri- that that is some serious flex radio money right there, right? Yeah, I think as, as a retirement plan, I think that it just sounds so nice. Uh, if you have to do it for a living, I understand that's stressful. But if you just do it as a as a hobby, uh, as a, a retired person, that sounds so nice. Just sitting there watching and seeing if something turns up and it doesn't, then you just start over. And it doesn't matter whether you find something or not, but you just. Uh, yeah, I, I I'd love to do that, but I, I would hate the mosquitoes, so I'm I'm probably not gonna. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the the mosquitoes would be the worst, the, the least of your worries. Uh, you know, you're talking about you're talking about grizzlies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that's another thing that I think we're rather blessed, at, at least in this part of Norway. There's uh, the chance of uh, getting attacked by a bear around these parts. Uh, you're, you're more likely to be struck by lightning. Uh, well, I, I, li I live in bear and wolf country, but um, I just I've seen tracks, but not the animals anywhere. So oh, yeah. the, the scary we have here are moose mostly. Yeah, they are big and they're angry and they're really tasty. Uh, but uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they are very honorary. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have a theory that a, a wild animal they can they can see how much you love their type of meat. So I'm basically I'm scared shitless of cow. Uh, because they look at me and they, they, they say, "All right, he's eaten a lot of burgers." So, yeah. um, but but that brings me on to to another question, though. Um, do you carry any weapons for for safety purposes when going out to to the wilderness? There, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, for for me personally, it's uh, it's a, a Glock twenty, uh, which is a chambered in ten millimeter with. Uh, uh, buffalo bear um bear rounds so and then sean uh i think what what do you carry sean it, it just depends the time of the season um the winter time i'll carry a very similar gun 10 millimeter uh glock just because of the lightweightness but in the summertime i've actually had a bear encounter um and so i uh upgraded my oh we lost sean i think yeah uh yeah YouTube algorithm does like guns. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could be. Uh, All right, Jeremy, you say ten millimeters. Is that is that a handgun? It is. It is. That, uh, I'm 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 not really fascinated by guns. I'm even a pacifist, but that sounds like it has an awful lot of kick. No, 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 not too bad. Not not bad at all. It doesn't. Looks like no. I, in, in the military, I fired nine millimeter handguns, and uh, I think that was uh, that was also a Glock, by the way. I think so. That was painful. Yeah, I mean, it, it does have a little kick, but but nothing. Uh, it's it's very easy to get back on target uh, once the first shot's fired. All um, right, but, yeah. but Sean Sean is back. He's got a very interesting uh, story where uh, he actually had a brown bear encounter. Um, yeah, and I wasn't necessarily going to go into that, but uh, I was just going. That's why I changed my my uh, my carry up. Uh, in the wintertime, I'll carry a 10 millimeter, very similar to uh, Jeremy's, but uh, I went with a little bit bigger gun for the summertime when the when the bears are out. That's a uh, 454 Kasul, um, and that's a that's pretty much a standard uh, weapon that people that were actually going into the bush will carry uh, up here in Alaska. Um, it's a very effective round. Um, I actually uh, did kill a bear with a 10 millimeter uh, handgun. I also had a the, the funny part of the story is I had a 300 wind mag with me and I was actually hunting uh, moose up here in Alaska behind a property I have up north. And um, it was about the fifth day we went out there and uh, we turned the corner back by this uh, small lake uh, where we have been all week long. So we had scent back there. Our scent was back there and uh, turned around the corner and uh, there was a grizzly on her hind legs uh, and approximately 15 feet away. And so I hip shot her uh, with my 300 wind mag. So I never even like raised it up. I hip shot her. I hit her in the shoulder. And then I've got a background in the military. I was in the military for almost 12 years. And uh, so I'm used to semi-automatic rifles, um, especially under stressful situations. Um, so I, I raised it up and I pulled the trigger again. And nothing happened. And uh, of course, I didn't cycle the bolt. 
Um, so I, I was kind of like panic mode and I leaned it up against the tree and then I threw my 10 millimeter and I had my buddy with me as well. And uh, then we were able to uh, take care of her after that. But that was funny. I, I thought I had a malfunction, but uh, you know, in the moment, in the heat of the moment, uh, your mind definitely operates differently uh, than when you're calm. But uh, yeah, that bear's hanging up at my cabin out at the lake now. And, uh, uh, and she was tasty too. We, we ate, we ate her. So, um, all three quarters of her. So it was very good meat. Interior bears taste good where bears that eat fish, uh, do not taste good. So that's kind of the methodology here in Alaska. Hmm. Yeah, that, that is something that is, is really exotic to us, even though the scenery is similar, we don't encounter that much of, of wildlife, um, as you said, Chet, the, the scariest thing are moose. Uh, moose and ticks mostly. But uh, yeah. uh, LA9 DSA, he has met or been very close to meeting um, uh, bears. But we have smaller brown bears here. So they're about a third of the size of your grizzlies, something like that. But still uh, kind of annoying, I think, if they get angry. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, and we are not allowed to carry weapons unless you're out hunting. Like unless you're actually actively out hunting something, and I guess if you shot something else than what you were hunting, you would also get into some problems there. So, so well, sometimes uh, here you, you are the hunted, so it's a good idea to carry the yeah. carry the weapon. <laughs> uh, but then again, if, if if you go up north to to Svalbard, uh, the the archipelago up in the Arctic, uh, you're actually required by law to carry a firearm because of yeah. the polar bears. So uh, it's it's somewhat of the same issues there, though. Yeah, and people get uh, attacked there quite frequently, especially tourists. Yeah. Uh, so tourists, I think tour don't... tourists taste better than uh, the uh, the uh, native <laughs> inhabitants. So, yeah. yeah. It's uh, the exotic meat, you know. Yeah. And and and, and scouts got uh, Shane's got a comment here. <laughs> oh, and, Finnish uh, people are nice. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for 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 just uh, yeah, Finnish people are are nice people usually. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but this has been we're getting close to the hour mark, but it's it's been really interesting having you guys on and hearing how how different uh, and different but similar uh, portable operations in Alaska are. And um, it's always been one of my bucket list destinations, but uh, I haven't gone to alaska yet but um you haven't scared me off anyhow oh. that's great i think you actually might have scared me because for the first half hour of the show i was thinking oh, i need to go there but then we started talking about bears and grizzlies <laughs> and i'm not so sure anymore so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it looks uh looks like an amazing place to visit like proper wilderness and uh, uh so I, I would also love to visit once but like then again it's quite expensive and not yeah. that different from here, but still, <laughs> sometime you will find me. Let's see, what was that TV show in the nineties from from Alaska? Northern Exposure, wasn't it? Yeah, that that kind of, I mean, th that made me really want to go to to Alaska when I saw that, and um, it's just so so exotic, and even though still so similar to what what it is like here. Uh, one final question, though. Uh, Aurora, is that a big issue for you, RF-wise? Uh, it is. It is. Um, beautiful show. 
you know, the, the good thing about that is if the radios are out because of the Aurora, um, you've got one hell of a show to watch. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, there's a, there's a thing out there where I haven't tried it personally, but I've heard that you can, uh, you know, turn your antenna towards the Aurora and pick up some, some scattered RF, you know, make some good contacts that way. Personally, I've yep. never tried it, but I've always wanted to. So maybe, uh, maybe next winter, um, get to try some of that. We, we have that here. We had that here today. In fact, uh, someone sent me a video of uh, listening to Aurora uh, propagation, and that if you haven't heard it before, it, it, listen to it on YouTube or something. If you if you hear that on the radio for the first time, that sounds like Hannibal Lecter on crack. That is uh, <laughs> that's scary stuff. That the way that sounds. So yeah, but yeah, I think it works quite well. So try it out the next time you have the opportunity. Yeah, I've heard yeah, yeah. about it or heard it myself on two meters, uh, but that was CW. And it just sounded like some sort of ghostly stretched out the beep that came over a little while. A really funky sound and uh, highly recommend it. And that was over to Sweden, I believe, from those guys. And uh, yep. it's a few thousand kilometers or so. So quite a big distance. One of yeah. the things I've noticed here with uh, the auroras is uh, it's kind of like a, a sky diode. I don't know if you've experienced that in Norway, but if the auroras are like uh, really active, um, sometimes when you tune in, say like on, I don't know, 15 meters or something, uh, we can hear people in the lower 48. But if you try to transmit, you're not getting out at all. So it's almost like a one way communication yeah. uh, whenever yeah. the auroras are kicking up. Absolutely, and uh, exactly the same here. You can will not be heard by those, or even if you hear them really well. And sometimes I've even <laughs> seen that, like after a um, after like a big aurora went, like the bands are a lot more open. They're like hugely uh, yeah uh, better than they were were before. So yeah. And uh, I think we're past the hour mark now. Uh, so um, thank you guys for being on. It's been a great show and um, it's been really interesting. So um, hopefully um, people got some some insights into uh, to port portable operations in Alaska. Um, I don't really know what we're going to talk about next, next week. Uh, Tobias is going to show us how tubes work and... Uh, We'll make something up for you. Uh, see you guys next week and 7-3. Uh, 7-3. Bye, everyone. Thanks for watching.